0: Our reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 8, starting at verse 11. This is what the Lord says to me, with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instruction among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob, I will put my trust in him. Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty, who dwells on Mount Zion. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction. And the testimony of warning. If anyone doesn't speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upwards will curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is God's word. Uh,
1: Morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Matt, if we've not met. But let me lead us in prayer, uh, and then we'll turn to this together. Our great God and Father, we thank and praise you that your word, though unchanging, is always speaking. Uh, And Father, thank you that we can turn to these truths written nearly 3,000 years ago, and still they maintain their absolute relevance as you speak them to us today. Help us to hear you and respond rightly, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Isaiah and his followers were told, don't follow the people, don't fear what they fear, and don't dread it. It was quite easy to be fearful um, or anxious. That is not a difficult thing uh, to be in this life. So on the sort of national level, you might be fearful uh, in the coming general election, you, you might be fearful of a a large majority for Mr. Johnson and a hard Brexit that will wreck the economy, you might. You might be fearful of a hung parliament or even a a, a majority for Mr. Corbyn and nationalization that will wreck the economy, or or maybe not. Um, But you could be fearful, no matter what your political allegiance is. You could read or observe in the news this week the CO2 levels. CO2 goes up and up and up and rises, and you think, well, maybe it's time to get nervous. Even uh, even a petrol head like Jeremy Clarkson last weekend can say he's nervous. You think, golly, if Clarkson's worried about the climate, maybe I ought to be a bit more anxious. On a less global scale, you might just, as a Christian, if you're here as a Christian, think, well, I'm a bit fearful for the church in the United Kingdom. Uh, I mean, we were exiting a period where we were sort of patted on the head as do-gooders, and now, holding to traditional Christian belief, is viewed as a much, very much more a peculiar thing. No longer, oh, well, that's nice for you, but no, no, that's bad. If you might be fearful, let alone the things in your own life to make you anxious. And here in Isaiah 8 and 9, the question again is going to be, what will you do with your fears? Will you... Trust the Lord, or will you follow the people? And when a whole culture around you is anxious and, and nervous about certain things, well, you'll naturally drift with them, unless you resolve to fear the Lord and trust Him. You see, really, this text—the choice is—it goes a bit like this: you, you either forget God and you're fearful, or you remember Him. And hopeful. You forget the Lord, and you're fearful, like everyone around you, or you remember Him, and you're hopeful. Well, if you're just joining us today, work our way in this book of in this bit of Isaiah. We're in the year 735 BC, and the nation of Judah faces two very scary issues. And um, there's uh, Assyria is the main issue. Uh, Assyria is the sort of regional superpower, and they're threatening, look, unless you pay us money, unless you pay us some tribute, we're going to invade you. That's problem number one. And problem number two is, well, then the immediate neighbors of Israel um, and uh, Syria or Aram, they're threatening to invade as well. So we said, I I got away with this little picture. We got it last week just by way of explanation, I think. Most people said it wasn't patronizing, so let me try again. Uh, Assyria then, the big issue. Poor little Judah, such a tiny nation. You've got Assyria, the big issue. Um, But then these two other ones, Aram and Ephraim, the two neighboring nations. We've got a map. You can just see it very quickly uh, on the map if you want it. There's Judah at the bottom, Israel, and Aram, Damascus. They're the two neighboring nations. Let's go back to the cat. And um, so what do you do if you're Judah? You're you're worried. You're Well, um, Isaiah comes to the king, King Ahaz, and says, just trust me. Don't worry about the big cat. Don't worry about these two little rats, Ephraim. just trust me. It was in chapter 7, verse uh, 4. King Ahaz was told, just be calm, be careful, don't be afraid, don't lose heart. I will sort it out. We saw last time the king bottled it. He said, I don't trust you, Lord. Uh, so he made a deal with Assyria. Uh, Assyria went and beats up Aram, and Ephraim eats the cat, eats the two rats. Uh, it all seems well, apart from a few years later, Assyria turns around and gobbles up uh, Judah as well. Trust me, says the Lord. Oh, I can't, says the king, and trust his own politicking. Now the situation is the same, but whereas last time it was a conversation between Isaiah and the king, King Ahaz. Here it's a different audience. So chapter 11, so excuse me, chapter 8, verse 11, Isaiah says, this is what the Lord says to me, and yet from verse 12 onwards, all the verbs are plurals. Don't you lot, plural, call conspiracy everything the people calls conspiracy? So here in our passage today, the Lord God is addressing Isaiah and his followers, it's the faithful remnant, the genuine believers in the land of Judah. And God is saying to them, yeah, look, you've made a decision to follow me. Now, don't be drawn away from that and just fear what the people fear. What all the nominal believers in the nation of Judah, don't, don't just drift with them, okay? You've resolved to follow me, Isaiah, and, your fo- and Isaiah's disciples. Great. Stick with me. Stick with it. Don't Drift and follow the majority of the population. So he wants it. it's very easy to see how this applies to Christians here today. The Lord would say, if you're a Christian here today, yeah, look, you've made the great decision to follow me. Now stick with me. Just because everyone around you is chasing after other things and fearing other fears, and don't, don't be influenced by them. Trust me. So we're going to look at it just under these two, but as you'll see from the, uh, from the sort of outline, uh, most of our time is in the first. Don't follow the way of the people, chapter 8, verse 11, uh, to the end, but because a light has dawned, 9, 1 to 7, okay? Don't follow the way of the people, which is chapter 8, 11 to uh, 22, but uh, because a light has dawned, but most of our time, we'll look at the first. Don't undo. Uh, Don't follow the way of the people then. That's the sort of main imperative here. Chapter 8, verse 11. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. So that's the headline over the passage. What does that mean that the Lord had his strong hand on Isaiah? I think it's just emphasizing I was really struck by this. This was really important. God sort of got hold of me by the cheeks and said, no, listen, seriously, Isaiah, this one you've got to pay real attention to. It has that sort of sense to it, I guess. But the headline is, don't follow the way of the people. Don't just drift with the majority of the population. Three little sections to that. First, uh, don't fear what they fear, uh, 11 to 15. Don't fear... What they fear. And then so, verse 12 do not call conspiracy everything that this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. When things go wrong, it's easy to become paranoid. Everyone's against us. The whole thing's a conspiracy. I don't know the ins and outs. You see the film that got banned uh, this week, Blue Story got banned by the View Cinemas. There was a fight in Birmingham and they. Uh, But the director said, well, there's obviously other, there's deeper issues here, aren't there? They're clearly the owners of you, they're sort of against urban youth. Well, I mean, maybe, 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 maybe they're just actually concerned about money. They're a business and fighting's not good for their profit. I mean, you know, but, oh, no, there's got to be, everyone's against us. If something goes wrong, well, there's a conspiracy. They all hate us. They always gang up on us. Well, don't just jump that way. don't fear what everyone around you fears. Now, it's 735, and your little country, the neighboring countries have massed their troops on your border and are just crossing the border to invade you. Objectively, that's a scary scenario. Object is not just sort of utterly, oh, I'm feeling a bit nervous about my exam tomorrow, Uh, this is objectively a big issue going on here. But he still says, don't fear, and the reason is verse 13. (sighs) Don't fear what they fear. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He's the one you are to fear. He's the one you are to dread. Okay, you might feel nervous about these invading armies, but you do remember the Lord Almighty, literally the Lord of armies. It doesn't get translated that way, but that's what it is. The Lord of armies, the one who controls everything in the whole of creation. And these tiddly little armies over here, he rules over them. He, he's the Lord of all armies. He's on your side. If you've got him, you're fine or to put it in a sort of daft, mundane way f- for you and me, if, if a utility company sends you a big red letter saying, oh, we've examined all your records, and actually it's all out of, there's lots of things you haven't paid, and actually you, you owe us £10,000. Ten I mean, there's a big red bill, £10,000. And you go, what? It's terrible. It's just, just... And, and if you don't pay it by the 14th of December, we should take you to court, and the bailiffs will come round, and, whoa, very, very intimidating sort of letter they sent you. Then you get a phone call from the regulator, which keeps changing its name, I think offgem is what it is at the moment. Uh, but the regulator rings you up and says, now look, your utility company, it's, it's uh, got lots of mistakes, and so don't you worry about it. What's your old number? We'll deal with them. You will not go to court. We're in charge. We'll slap them down. We'll put them in their place. Don't, you, rip up the letter, put it in the bin, enjoy your Christmas, and in fact, we'll probably get you some compensation because they've been so nasty and upset you so much. And you think, okay, okay. You think, well, okay, the, the regulator, the government is saying, this company, will sort them out. And you think, okay, I'll sleep easier now. But that is a banal. Uh, this is on a much greater level. These two little armies, two little armies, God says, I'm the Lord of armies, I'm on your side. Don't worry. Don't fear. I'm with you. Fear God, he says. Verse 14, you can't ignore him. You might try in the short term, but you can't ignore him. Here's your choice he's either a holy place, a place of refuge, or he's a stone that causes people to stumble. Verse 14, he will be a holy place. For both Israel and Judah, he'll be a stone that causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he'll be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They'll fall and be broken. They will be ensnared and captured. It's a choice. You either go to him as a holy place, a sanctuary, a place of safety, or you'll stumble over him. You'll be broken by him. The New Testament takes these verses, 1 Peter 2, and says, that's Jesus. You either go to him, and say, I trust him. I trust that he's taken all I've done wrong. I I, I trust that when he died upon the cross, he died for all my sin. I, I, I trust him. Or you stumble over him and say, who's this bloke? But when he returns, you'll have to face him. As Jesus would put it in Matthew 10, don't. Don't just fear someone who could break your body. Fear the one who can destroy your soul and your body. Compared to the armies of Ephraim, Syria, you've got the Lord of hosts. Compared to what anything you might fear in this life is the Lord Jesus. Fear him. Trust him. Be foolish not to. We visited some friends last weekend at a a military base. They're living on the military base, and so you go and you drive and you pull over, and uh, you have to go into the the, the sort of gatehouse, as it were. And uh, there was a sign up. You know, it was a standard issue sign. You see it everywhere, loads of places. Uh, People who abuse our staff will be prosecuted. You know, you see that everywhere. You know, you do not have the right to abuse our staff. You see it on the underground, that sort of thing. And you think, okay, okay, well, that's a good sign to have up. The thing is, when there are three people in a room half the size of this stage at holding automatic weapons, i I'm, I'm not that tempted to abuse them. There's a power imbalance here. I think, why is that sign up? Who would be so stupid to abuse the man with the, the three men with automatic weapons? You wouldn't, don't disregard the Lord, fear him not the little armies don't fear what they fear don't do it on a national scene whatever it may be an election or a future brexit don't don't doesn't mean you ignore it it means you think to yourself okay there's this issue but there is the Lord he's so much greater my trust is in him or on the personal level don't Fear what everyone else around you fears. Company not doing well. Well, that's an issue. Of course it's an issue, but don't panic in the same way the culture around you may panic. If you're a Christian and know that the Lord Jesus rules over all things, you can trust him. So don't fear what they fear. By contrast, do wait for the Lord or upon the Lord, verse 16 to 18. So Isaiah is told, bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instructions among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, says Isaiah, who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I'll put my trust in him. So Isaiah says, look, this, this, this prophecy, this warning, it was a bind it up. What does that mean? I mean, secure it for the future so that when people say, oh, Isaiah, you never predicted this would happen, I can go, yes, I did. Look, put in a time capsule or, or something like that. But Isaiah says, verse 17, I'm trusting the Lord. I fear the Lord. Verse 17, I will wait for the Lord. Can't see him at the moment. When armies are gathering on our border, it it seems like he's hiding. But I will trust him. So here is Isaiah contrasted King Ahaz, if you were here last time. Chapter 7, verse 4, Ahaz, wait upon the Lord. Don't panic. Trust. No, Isaiah says, I will wait upon the Lord. I will trust him. Can't see him. I mean, his, his purposes, they seem hidden as we're about to be invaded, but I trust him. I will wait. It's a great sign of helplessness, I guess, waiting. You've had the experience, you've, you, you've flown perhaps to a foreign city, you don't know anyone in the city, but, but someone's meant to come and pick you up And you're there, and you're told to wait at exit G or whatever it may be, and you're there, and you think, oh, where's this man who's meant to pick me up? Where's Chris? And um, you think, well, let me try my phone. Oh, whatever, roaming's not working. Oops, should have turned that on back in the UK. And um, you just wait. because You don't really know where you're going. Maybe it's just me who's disorganized. Uh, but you're utterly helpless. You think if no one turns up, I actually don't know what I'm going to do if no one turns up. Isaiah says, I'm just waiting. Not a lot I can do here, but I wait and I trust. What I do have, says uh, Isaiah, is a word from the Lord. Verse 18, here am I, And the children the Lord has given me, we are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. What does he mean? All these funny names that all these people kept giving. Isaiah, his name meaning Yahweh is salvation. His kids' names, Shir Jeshab, a remnant will return. Maha Shalal Hashbaz, the fact that Israel is going to get invaded. Uh, We've got these strange names, but these names, our names, our family's names, they they mean, They're, they're the truth we can cling on to. God has spoken, we're clinging on to his word. So don't fear what they fear, do wait for the Lord. And then don't drift to spirituality, verses 19 to 22. This, again, I think is actually more common than we realize. When people a- abandon faith in a God who's revealed himself, they, must, they don't purely turn to secularism. They turn to sort of spiritual stuff. Someone, someone, hit, someone told me the other day uh, they'd invited a colleague uh, along to something at church. Uh, they said, no, no, I can't, I can't come to that next week. I mean, God isn't for me. Uh, I've got to be honest with you. Um, oh, and by the way, uh, d- drinks tonight after work, I, I can't make that either uh, with uh, with our gang. I- I've got to go home and recharge my obsidian crystal. And he's like, wow. God's not for you, but you've got to go home and charge your crystal. What is that? I mean, I don't know what that, I mean... I take it that's not some, you know, that is just what it is, a crystal that you, what? But I don't think that's, I mean, that may be particularly uncommon, a crystal, but I think we do live in a culture where people will turn away from the living God who's revealed himself, but they're not just saying that's it, the material world is all there is. There's still a belief and a practice of something beyond Something supernatural. Here in Isaiah then, why are they consulting the mediums and the spiritists? Well, I guess the people, they're panicking and they want some inside track on the future. What does the future hold? But as Isaiah is told, God condescendingly says, end of verse 19, why would you consult the dead on behalf of the living? Why would you do that? That is nonsensical. God's word is clear. But if you turn away from it, well, it's not good. Verse 20 consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. But look, if anyone turns away, if anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. And what happens when you turn away? Or well, verse 21, distressed and hungry, they'll roam through the land. When they're famished, they'll become enraged and look upwards. They'll curse their king and their God. They'll look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they'll be thrust into utter darkness. Oh. darkness, fearful gloom, utter darkness. People do this. Well, what's going on in the world? Well, No, God. I don't want a God because I'll have to sort of do what he says. But let me work it out for myself. And I, I think I want there's something sort of beyond this world. And, and, uh, quite common, but it's miserable. I went to um, a funeral of a, a relative on Thursday morning. And it was tragic. Utterly tragic. He was a popular man who, who lived a good life in, in many ways. There's plenty of people there, but just empty, led by some secular guy. And I just thought, is, there's nothing here. There is absolutely no hope here. At the end, I was intrigued. We've got the order of service. Uh, there's the committal. And then there were closing words of comfort. I thought, oh, I wonder what those will be. And the closing words of comfort were, well, my name is, the guy's name, Greg, Da da It's been my privilege to, uh, to um, host you and uh, to take you through the funeral today. And you can carry on now and go to the club down the road and you can share your further memories. You think, wow, that's the comfort? An advert, did you like me? I can do yours too. And um, you can carry on and talk about more memories. No comfort. And yet, being a man of a certain, you know, he was 88 when he died, this guy. And so generationally, we had sung, abide with me. And you think that there are words of comfort. The final verse Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me. You know, there's comfort. There's comfort. That because of the work of the Lord Jesus, I can have hope. Because of the cross, I have hope. I have to say, it was the bleakest thing I've been to for ages. There was no hope. It was just darkness. Don't fear what they fear. Do wait for the Lord. Don't drift into spirituality. It's just darkness. So look, don't follow the way of the people, he says, because a light has dawned. And here is the reason above all others that they have for hope. Here is hope in darkness. Chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Famous verses at Christmas time. Chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, but, big, big full stop, and but, nevertheless, there's darkness everywhere in the land. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Oh, what a contrast. Verse 22 of chapter 8, you live in gloom, darkness, utter darkness. Chapter 9, verse 1. There will be no more gloom. In the past, he'd humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he'll honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Zebulun and Naphtali are right in the north of the country. So whenever Judah's invaded, they get invaded first. And a few years later, when Assyria does invade, all the people are are taken off into slavery. They're they're taken off to live elsewhere. And as was Assyrian policy, they sent in people from other nations to live in the region of Galilee. So that's why it's Galilee of the nations. It's a cosmopolitan area. You're not pure Jewish if you're in, in the land of, in the north. That's why when Jesus arrives, so the people say, he's from Galilee? What good can come from Galilee? They're not really Jews up in Galilee. They're they've, they've bred with immigrants from other nations. It's of the nations. But this land, this part of the country that was humbled first, will be honoured. Because Jesus will be born there. Well, instead of darkness, there's going to be light, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. Do you see how, again, chapter 8, verse 22 is being undone. A light has dawned. Uh, Verse 3, you've enlarged the nation, you've increased their joy, they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Here is a future where instead of chapter 8 verse 1, Judah being plundered, chapter 9 verse 3, they'll have plunder and they'll share it out. Here is a time of joy. The people will be dancing and rejoicing. Did you, uh, next year, uh, we, we love our anniversaries, don't we, particularly in the UK. Um, our economy may be in trouble a lot post-Brexit, who can tell, but we've got our history. Uh, and so there. Um, and so next year will be the 75th anniversary of well, all sorts of things. Uh, but 75th anniversary of VE Day will be next year, uh, a little later on VJ. Um, so we'll see lots of footage of um, VE Day and lots of dancing, so it, all these sort of things. We've got a few... You know, there's VE Day, and um, oh, look, uh, there they are. Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? You're going to get away with that these days? I don't know. But, um, oh, Conga. Um, so, all right, it's English, and so we're not dancing very well. Um, but uh, just, I mean, you've seen the photos. Let's go back to the first ones, probably the best. But just unbridled joy. It's over. War is over. We're not going to be invaded. No more bombs going to land. Just joy. Well, that, but more so. People no longer in darkness, but in light, rejoicing before you. Verses 4, 5, and 6, they all begin with the word for. I don't know why it's not there in verse 5. So here are the reasons why people will be rejoicing. Verse 4. Well, there's freedom, not oppression. Verse 4, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, no longer fearful of oppression, but free. In 1945, no no longer fearful of invasion, free. As in the day of Midian, well, that's... um, that's Gideon back in Judges chapter 7. You know, this, the Midianites have invaded the, the land back then. And God says, You've got too many men, Gideon, so 300 men will do. You can take on this army of thousands with 300 men. And um, they just, the 300 men sort of go around. They've got a few trumpets. And the Midianites all panic and kill one another. And the point is 300 men defeat an army of thousands. If you've got God on your side, you're fine. God conquers through weakness. And you'll see that again. Uh, verse 5, there'll be peace, not war. For for every warrior's battle, boot excuse me, boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. It's not just people stashing away their arms for later. The, the, the means of warfare are gone, destroyed. And how does all this take place? How does oppression end and freedom come and war end? Because verse 6, famously, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And of course, that is a bit surprising. Oppression becomes freedom. War becomes peace because of a baby. Babies are very sweet. But they're not great problem solvers, and so I don't know you. um, There's this conflict on the border with Turkey and Iraq, and Turkish armies still at war with the uh, the Kurdish army. How do you solve that problem? What you don't do, we've got um, Noah Fury here, there's welcome Noah for his first Sunday at church, having been born 10 days ago. You probably don't send him to negotiate with President Erdogan. I mean, maybe that would work. But you probably don't send the baby in to bring peace. But this baby's different. And of course, he has an extraordinary name. Now, all of Isaiah's kids have been given extraordinary names, but this child is going to be born later after invasion. And this, this child really has got quite a special name. Verse 6, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That's a pretty special name. Wonderful Counselor, as opposed to the human folly of the kings of Judah. The, as opposed to the folly of Ahaz who says, oh, I've got to make a deal with this big cat Assyria to teed the rats. No, no, folly. Just trust the Lord. He'll be a wonderful counselor. Mighty God, this is God himself. Everlasting Father, while the Lord is described as Father of the helpless, he cares for the most vulnerable. Supremely, he's Prince of Peace because that's what he achieves. But this is God, mighty God. And yet this great emphasis that God himself, this future leader, is also a child. And even at this stage, Isaiah is saying, God, when he comes, will be a human. God, when he comes, will also be a human. How does that work? Well, we find out later. And I guess the other point of the emphasis on the baby is how will God deliver from oppression and warfare? He'll do so through weakness and vulnerability. That's how he triumphs. The same one who in chapter 8 says, fear me, fear me, don't fear what the people fear, fear me. He also says, because I will come in weakness and and I will deal with all human evil by taking it into myself. Extraordinary that this one says I'll come in weakness and vulnerability Verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Well, this is a future promise for Judah. Look, you will be invaded through Zebulun and Naphtali, but later on, this one will come. Of course, we know this coming is the Lord Jesus Christ. So you and I, we, we don't have this as a future promise, but we do in part live in verse 7. That the reign of Jesus has begun, but not demonstrated to the whole world. He will return. His kingdom will be consummated, finished. In the meantime, he is reigning, but we don't see it. But we are told, end of the verse 7, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God cares about everything, he rules over everything, but he's zealous for this, Just different. You may have many things in your life, many responsibilities. Yeah, yeah I care about my colleagues, and I, I, I care about my car and keeping it clean, but I'm zealous for X. We're not zealous about everything. It's quite fun when you discover what makes people tick, what they're zealous about. Did you see last week um, Rod Stewart, his model railway in his vast Manhattan loft? He's got a, what was it? He's he's 124 foot of track, and he's been working on this model railway for 25 years. And, um, you know, you wouldn't have known, but actually... He's obsessed with model railway making. And this is this vast, vast thing of incredible, intricate detail. And whenever he went on tour, he'd have a room for himself and a room for a a little bit of the model that he was making. No one else was allowed to touch it. And he said, uh, yeah, look, when I take on something creative like this, I have to give it 110%. For me, it's addictive. I started, so I had to finish. I've been obsessed with this. And that is how God feels about verse 7. I'm zealous for this. Oh, I'm the Lord over everything in all creation, but I'm zealous for this. My zeal will, will accomplish. This is what I care most about, establishing the reign of Jesus Christ. The Messiah will bring an end to all warfare. He will grant his people unparalleled joy. He'll, he'll accomplish this. He will. So Isaiah 8 and 9, you can forget God and be fearful, or you can remember him and be hopeful. And we live in a culture where people are fearful about all sorts of things on the national level. Fearful about schooling for children. Fearful about all sorts of things, and we'll all be influenced by them. But you can forget the Lord. And then you'll just be dragged along with the fears of everyone else. Or you can trust him. And you can be hopeful. This promise given to Isaiah and the faithful in 735 BC, well, the zeal of the Lord sent Jesus 700 odd years later, 2,000 years ago. And the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. So trust him. And be hopeful. It'll liberate you from fear. Let's pray together. Great God and Father, here is here is realism. That whatever captures the national mood, whatever people in in the land are anxious about, it's going to affect us. Whatever people are talking about and are nervous about, it'll have an impact upon us. Would we be different? For those of us who are Christians, would we remember that your zeal sent this great, mighty God, wonderful counsellor, everlasting father, prince of peace 2,000 years ago. Your zeal sent him to die for our sins, to establish his reign. Your zeal will mean that he returns. And would we have hope in him? So that we're not blown around by the fears of our nation, of our culture. But we have hope in the return of the Messiah. Would we trust you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.